Hello and welcome to the NCETM Maths Podcast. I'm Julia Thompson, Communications Manager at the NCETM, and this is the third and final part of my conversation with Professor Alf Coles and Professor Natalie Sinclair, in which we discuss some of the ideas in their book, I Can't Do Maths, Why Children Say It and How to Make a Difference. In this episode, we answer some of your questions, which were shared on social media. If you've not listened to parts one and two, I would definitely start there first. If you're still with us, then we'll jump straight back into the conversation. Moving on to some questions from social media, because we, we had quite a lot of interest in the podcast from social media. So that pedagogy geek asks, is this, and he's referring to maths anxiety, a problem specific to UK education? Why do you think it's less of a problem in Asia compared to the UK? I don't know whether maths anxiety is something which is a problem just in the UK or whether it's a, across the West. I, what I, do you I'm pr- pretty that? sure it's not It's not, not a UK-specific problem. UNESCO produced a graph of countries' sort of attainment on international tests and it was either against maths anxiety or sort of enjoyment of maths on the other axis. I think Canadians enjoyed their maths more com- compared to most countries that, uh, who are attaining as well as Canada, which which is also more than average. Uh, I think Britain was was pretty much right in the middle of, of, of both those axes. So no, I don't think it is a math specific problem. I mean, it's interesting, Asia. I mean, this is a very small sample, but we have master students come from China. So maybe over the 13 years I've been at Bristol, maybe about 100 students, let's say, from China have come over. To a person, they've not enjoyed their maths education. I, I don't know whether they're anxious about it. I, I mean, that's a different question, but it's certainly they've they felt it's been incredibly kind of exam oriented and exam focused and in many cases quite stressful. So that's interesting. So there's anxiety and there's enjoyment and some of our highest attaining students might not necessarily enjoy maths because of the way it's been taught. So there's still potentially room for improvement, even in those high achieving nations. Absolutely. I mean, I think in some of Joe Bowler's research, she talks about the anxiety that can come from being in a top set in a secondary school, for instance, feeling you're not keeping up. Absolutely. So this question, somebody posted it and there were lots of responses to this thing. I have this problem as well. So at Jesse Big One asks, if you have any advice for teachers who are asked the question, when will I ever use this in real life when covering topics they probably won't ever use again? Well, one of the best answers to this that that someone offered to me a couple of years ago was, you know, when am I going to need this maths? And the answer is now. It's frustrating, isn't it? Because when you think about other subjects, like when am I ever going to need to know the date of the Peasants' Revolt or when am I going to need to know how waterfalls are formed? We seem to ask this question of maths. It's almost like a, I'm finding this quite tricky. I'm going to say, when am I ever going to need this? <laughs> I mean, I think just, just to add one more brief thing, I mean, I think there's a sense for me in which if a student's saying that, what they're really saying is, this is too hard or, or I'm bored or something like that. And it feels like if you're asking that question, you're not open to an answer to it. So it's not clear to me that it's ever possible to really engage in that question. It seems to me the challenge is how might I construct my teaching so that question doesn't arise? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the on, honest answer is twofold. One is that basically beyond grade six, you're not going to need the math. And we know that from a, a lot of research, except for in very specific careers. 
And the second part of that, but you're going to need it to pass an exam to get into a university so that you can have a, a good life. I always like to think of what if it was art that was put in that role as a discipline. I think lots of people would find art abstract and then would say, when am I ever going to need this? And we'd have to say, oh, you probably won't ever gonna need this. But you know, if you wanna get ahead in life, you'll, you'll have to persist. So I agree with what Alf said is maybe focus more on how can you make it so that that question doesn't come up as often. And I think in the book we talk about that, but I think we should also be re realistic with students and expose them to the way mathematics has become this gatekeeping discipline. And as a result has really sort of alchemized into something that is very different from what mathematics actually is. So this includes a focus on a lot of uh, memorizing and algorithms and right and wrong answers, um, which is very different from other ways you can imagine engaging with mathematical ideas. So similarly, if it was art, there would probably a lot be a lot of practicing of drawing really straight lines, you know, which uh, is probably not what most artists think their art is about. So I'm I'm of two minds. I think it's really important that that students understand the sort of sociopolitical role of mathematics in our society. Yeah. And I'm inclined to think that perhaps if we approach it in a different way, in some of the ways that you've suggested, asking questions and, and looking at the ways that maths can be used to solve real world problems, that that makes it, I think, a bit more relevant to people. I mean, that, I think that's important, too. I also I'm really I really like the work of the mathematician Francis Sue and his book Mathematics for Human Flourishing where he looks at what are the desires that we have as humans and how are they addressed in mathematics. And that can be about developing friendships. It can be about love. It can be about connections. So all of those things are, are actually there in mathematics and it doesn't only have to be about solving real world problems. You know, 90% of what mathematicians do have nothing to do with solving real problems. Uh, every once in a while, there's going to be something that actually is helpful in the real world. But um, it's also this other discipline of um, creating new objects, creating relations between objects, creating beautiful objects, all of that. And I'm not saying that that's what mathematics should just be about, because of course it has this other real world application side of it. But I think if we go too much towards always thinking about how is it relevant to real world deciding cell phone plans between two different cell phone plans, that's also going to distort mathematics. So there's nothing wrong with a teacher saying you might never use it again, but it's worthwhile to explore it because it's something new and it's something worthwhile and interesting and have a go sort of thing. You don't have to make excuses beautiful, beautiful even i mean another take on it is it's like this really important bit of our cultural heritage a bit like kind of shakespeare plays i don't think people are questioning why we're learning shakespeare even though you're not going to use that in your life yes except for if you're in a podcast with julia and then you can... <laughs> <laughs> oh i don't want to interview anyone about shakespeare <laughs> it's hard enough talking about maths so another question from AJ Magic Message, he asks, what is the single biggest change schools could make to stop children thinking that they can't do maths? So I suppose 
a way we could look at that is if there's one thing that, that you could identify for schools to do or stop doing to make improvements, what do you think that might be? I mean, I think our book is quite explicitly not wanting to offer a single answer to that kind of question. I and mean, I think it is complex. I mean, I you know, one thing we touch on that, that, that is a single idea, it seems to be quite an important one, is to try and shift towards method, a focus on methods rather than answers. And we've touched on that. I mean, I actually think particularly, you know, given this is an NCTM podcast, I actually think the NCTM professional development resources are really great. And we've certainly got anecdotal evidence of schools that have wholeheartedly gone into them have you know really quite transformational things happening in some some of their classrooms but that requires a, a leap of faith i suppose to um maybe put away some some of the more prescribed schemes and a commitment to make time for teachers to be able to work with those materials and have time co-planning and really thinking through their teaching i mean i think it's the more as a teacher i can have really thought through the details and nuances of what i'm offering the more perhaps i'm able to try and get in touch with and offer some of these more creative aspects of the subject. Okay, so I've heard you state in, in another podcast I was listening to that the book is for parents as well as teachers. And we did have a question from a parent actually whose child struggled with maths. What can parents do to support their child if they're trapped in this web of dogmas? So if, I suppose it, it is quite a web and, and that's what you were saying. It is more complex than thinking it's just a single thing that you can change. So what would you advise pa parents do? I know as a parent myself, sometimes you feel, do feel a bit powerless about what your children are doing in school because you can't really influence it that much. That's a tough um, question. Yeah, it is a tough question. I think one way is to help their children see that the mathematics they're doing in school is not the only mathematics that's out there. And so there's so many resources now on the on the internet. I really like Vi Hart, who has these beautiful doodling examples of mathematics showing where mathematical ideas sort of come from just from doodling and saying, oh yeah, that happens to be like what you were learning in, in, in class today around linear equations, but you probably didn't get it that way. I think it helps students to see, I actually can be good at and interested in other aspects of mathematics. It's just not what it is that they're doing in school. So, you know, the whole world of math doesn't become sort of narrowed down to just what it is that they're learning in school, which is often very numerical or, or um, algebraic or, or symbolic. So I, I there's so much out there. I won't like mention other resources, but you know, please feel free to contact us if 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 you'd like some examples of that. So that you know, later on, if they're in architecture, or design, or medical imaging, or all of these places that actually draw on more geometric visual ways of thinking of, about mathematics, that they don't sort of feel anxious, but they say, oh yeah, this is like the the part I'm good at, and mm -hmm. and feel like they can be successful in, in those areas. I think Alf has also talked a lot about engaging kids in games. So, you know, on, on car trips or train trips or whatever, there's all sorts of really uh, interesting games. I just bought a book called Math Games with Bad Drawings. Uh, that is a collection of really fabulous uh, games that all have like a connection to really deep mathematics, but that um, are easy to do, pencil and paper, fun. 
um, with with kids of all ages, including grandparents and, and parents. And I think that can also be a, a low um, anxiety way to get kids sort of feeling um, confident about their own sort of capacity to reason and 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 become interested. I think the sense of being playful in maths is so important. I mean, I think children are often fascinated with big numbers and questions of infinity and, and things. That's really interesting. I've just finished recording a podcast with Enrich and they were talking about collaborative games and also the idea of uh, high ceiling, low th- threshold games which you know are, are accessible and not frightening but you have the option to really go interesting places with them so my final question which is linked a little bit to your final part of the book it's particularly pertinent given some of the conversations that are going on about maths at the moment especially in the united kingdom um, why is learning maths worth it and why does being able to do maths matter just a small question to end up with. <laughs> no pressure. I, I think for, for me, we, we've kind of touched on some of these ideas. I mean, Natalie touched on the maths as a gatekeeper and in in this sort of political aspect of maths. And, and there's an aspect in which society is saying to all students and, and all parents and all teachers that that, that children have to learn maths and, and, and that is essential. Um, and w- whatever we think about that, the context in which children in school now are going to be growing up, I mean, I think, you know, I mentioned earlier one of my research interests around what climate change and so on means for maths education. And and it is really clear there. I think we saw it in COVID as well, that actually understanding what an exponential graph means or what an exponential function does is actually really, really important. Being able to understand graphs and data, being able to communicate about these things. And, and, and then, you know, at a deeper level, being able to question some of the mathematical assumptions behind some of these models. I mean, all, all these are clearly going to be really important skills uh, for the future, it seems to me. And also to touch on another theme, I think we both would want to say that that maths is this really beautiful subject that that, that actually is really worth it for, for you know for, for for its own sake. Um, and I do think that there's an element in which maths seems to hold quite a significant power in terms of how, as a learner, I think about myself. So so, so as well as it being sort of this very beautiful, satisfying subject, actually doing well in it is probably going to have knock-on implications for how I see myself more broadly as a learner. Have you got anything to add to that, Natalie? That that was perfect. I I think this combination, which is an an awkward combination that I think is specific to mathematics of being um, so powerful that it formats a lot of our society in 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 technology in the stock market in surveillance and you know all of these things that um, we really need more people to be able to understand how that's all working and make sure that we're all okay with how it's working which which i think we we aren't in in many cases but if we don't know what uh, mathematical decisions are being made. We don't really know what alternatives there there are. So I think we need to have that kind of um, educated understanding of mathematics. And at the same time, mathematics can be so powerful for creating alternatives too. Be- because mathematics isn't part of the real world, it gives us these ways of being speculative and imagining a different way of organizing things, different structures that can sometimes get us out of our normative sort of assumptions about how things have to be. So it's funny that it has this both like very negative and positive potential at the same time. 
almost like maths is going to happen whether you like it or not and if you're one of the people who can understand it then that's a, a powerful thing really because I don't want to be too ominous but there need to be more people able to scrutinize and come up with different solutions different ideas across the social spectrum around the world absolutely fantastic well I've kept you for a long time. I've really thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. So thank you so much for speaking to me today. And that brings my conversation with Alf and Natalie to a close. I hope you found it as interesting as I did. And hopefully it's given you some food for thought and perhaps some ideas to tackle some of the challenges we can face when teaching maths and how to deal with some of those more awkward questions. And if you'd like to read their book, it's I Can't Do Maths, Why Children Say It and How to Make a Difference. It's published by Bloomsbury and is available from all major book retailers. My copy is already out on loan to a friend. Links to some of the resources and books mentioned by Alf and Natalie are in the show notes. And if you're interested in teaching maths and the wider world of maths, do take a look at some of our other podcast episodes. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, do share it with colleagues and make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Maths Podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.